What a glorious morning of worship already today. I invite you to open your Bible, and I hope you brought your copy of God's Word, and that you would find with me 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 today. And uh, this message today is extraordinarily important. I think it's probably at the crux of the issue that is before us in our world and our culture and our day. It's probably true for every generation, and it's true for us today. And I hope that today that you wouldn't just blow it off and not listen, but you would pay close attention and that you would think carefully about your own life, not somebody else's, but your own and your own family and your own personal relationships and your own walk with Christ. Today, I want to talk about discipleship. I want to talk to tell you, today's message is called parental discipleship. And we're going to look at a text of scripture that's found in 1 Corinthians 4 in just a moment. Jesus calls all of us to follow him. If you are, uh, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then he has called you to follow him. And following Jesus means to learn of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to learn of him, to abide in him, to listen to him, and to obey him. Don't, you don't, he is not your Lord if you are walking in disobedience. Amen. And says, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? So he calls us to walk in obedience and to learn of him. And, and obedience is the way that we learn. As we obey him, we learn. And as we learn, we grow. And as we grow, we develop and we change. And Jesus said, if you follow me, I will uh, change your life. And indeed, he does change us. He transforms us. He does a work inside of us that we couldn't do for ourselves. It's a work of grace. It's a work of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, working in us, bringing to remembrance the things that Christ has called us to do and giving us the strength to do it. And you see, this is God's changing work in our life. As we follow him and obey him, the spirit of God working in us and through us, we begin to think more like him, but to see the world and people more like the Father. And, and, and it becomes clearer, and we begin to walk and love the Lord in a clearer way, in a truer way. And our values begin to cha change. And we're learning to love God and love others as we follow Christ. This is the transforming work that God does in our heart. That you learn to trust God. You learn to forgive. You learn to love. You learn in obedience. But not only that, listen to me. But God, not only as you follow him, not only does he change you, but he calls you to be on mission with him. He, he, he calls you to be on mission with him. And that means that God uses you to influence others, to help others to live this Jesus way that we talk about. To help and to encourage and to teach and to model in our relationships. You see, we're following Jesus. We're being changed by Jesus. But we are on mission with Jesus in this world. Jesus gave us a great commission. And this commission is not just to the 12. It is to all of us, every one of us who say that we're born-again believers. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all the people groups. You're to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And 
I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And this commission has been given to all of us as believers. But today I submit to you that the very first place, and I think the primary place that this must be taking place, is in your family and in your personal relationships. With your spouse, with your children, with your brothers and your sisters and your family and your church family. This is the discipleship. It's not just the responsibility of the church. It is every individual believer's responsibility. And listen to me, parents. It's your responsibility in your home to train up a child in the way he should go. It's your responsibility. No, I just leave that to the church. No, you, you cannot leave it to the church. And it's time for us to wake up and not be laissez-faire about the discipleship of our own family and children. The world hates them. And he hates you. And he hates your children and your grandchildren. You're to bring them up, rear them, shepherd them. In the fathers, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now listen, your children, they may not follow. Some of them may not. They may rebel and resist. And some may reject the gospel. But you've been given a stewardship under God. To invest your life in making disciples in the relationships that are closest to you. Now, my questions today, before we get to the text. How about you? How about your children? Your grandchildren? Your spouse? Are they on the pathway of following Jesus? Let me ask you a question about your children. What are their greatest struggles? What are your children, your grandchildren, what are their greatest struggles? What are their greatest fears? What temptations are they encountering? Who speaks, listen to me, please don't go to sleep. Who speaks into their life? What voices are being heard in the lives of your children and grandchildren? And what are those voices saying to them? What are those voices trying to teach them? I want to ask you, what amount of time are you spending praying for your children and your grandchildren? Your spouse? Specifically, what are you praying for? Are you praying very specifically about their lives? About their future mates? About their friends? About their studies? About their stewardship of their life? About God's protection over their mind and their heart? Are you spending one-on-one -on -one time 
getting to know your children, your grandchildren. I've noticed this, when all of my grandkids show up at my house, it's hard to have one-on-one -on -one time. It's hard for me to even collect a thought when that whole tribe is in my house. But I've noticed this, it's so much different when I'm coloring with just one of my children. And we sit down at a children's table together and we get out a coloring book and we color. And we talk. Fathers, are you having date nights with your daughters, your granddaughters? Grandmas, are you having sleepovers with your kids? Are you asking questions? Are you listening closely? Begin when they're young, but it's not too late. Be engaged. Be honest with your children and your grandchildren about your own struggles. Remember your own failures. Talk about God's goodness and God's grace and how God pursued you and how God loved you and how God forgave you and how God listens to you and how, what Jesus means to you. And do they know the story about how you came to know Christ? And talk about your own sin and your own rebellion and how God has redeemed you and how's God still working in you and how that obedience brings joy in your life and how you're learning to obey him even in your own life. Because you see, it's not just about getting your kids raised up and getting them a job and getting them off your payroll. That's not the end. Although that's a good thing. They are a stewardship given to God, and they're, they're, becoming, they're, they're becoming your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He helped found it. He was a missionary used in its by God in its establishment. And he loved these believers. And as he speaks to them, he's speaking loving truth to these believers at Corinth. He's speaking to them in the middle of their trials, in the middle of their struggles, in the middle of their divisions. And he speaks to them in, in areas where he's disappointed in some of the ways that they're behaving. And yet he's loving them as he speaks to them. And look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you have countless instructors, tutors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. He's my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. And he'll remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, 
Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I'll find, and, and I will find out, not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Paul sees his ministry as a stewardship. And, and, and these Corinthians, they're the Lord's. And Paul sees his relationship with him as, as a steward. Notice in chapter number 4, verse 1, a person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it's required that managers be found faithful. God, Paul says, I want to be faithful. God has put me in a relationship with you and a stewardship relationship, and I'm serving you, and I care for you. And he sees himself not only as a steward, but he sees himself as a parent, a parental disciple and missionary to his, this church in Corinth. And they can, he considers them his children in the faith. And he wants to be a faithful servant and, and steward and a great parent and disciple maker. And I think there's some truths that we can learn here for us in our disciple making, in our church, and in your home. Number one, write this down big, love your children. Love your children. Now notice in verse number 14, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. The New King James says, my beloved children. This version says, my dear children. King James Version says, my beloved sons. Do you hear the idea of, I love you. I came to be your father. You have lots of instructors and tutors, but you only have one father. I was there. God used me when you were born again and when this church was established. And Paul, he deals with many difficult things in this book of Corinthians. In this letter that he's writing to them, he has to say some very hard things to them and speak very hard truth to them. But laced throughout the hard things he's dealing with is he's telling them again and again, I love you. Listen to me, parents. Sometimes you have to say really hard things to your children. But you say it with love. Amen. Now listen. He had to deal with a problem in chapter number five, verse number one. It's actually reported there's sexual immorality among you. Is that a hard issue in a church? Yeah. And he said the kind of sexual immorality is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. And he's dealing with it. In verse number two, and you're arrogant, you're prideful. You should be filled with grief. Remove from the congregation the one who did this. He's saying this is so egregious that church discipline needs to take place with this individual who's done it. It's, this is not an easy topic. In chapter 5, verse number 6, notice what he says. 
Your boasting's not good. Don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Do you think he's getting on to them? Of course he is. Verse 9 of chapter 5. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Verse 13. God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. These aren't easy conversations. And then he gets on to them about them bringing lawsuits against one another. Chapter 6, verse 5. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's not one wise man, person among you who's able to arbitrate between fellow believers? What are you doing? Chapter number 1, verse number 11. It's been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people. There's rivalry among you. Infighting, divisions, unhealthy competition. Anybody ever been a part of church had some of those problems? It's unhealthy. So he's not ignoring it. As a matter of fact, he kind of takes them behind the woodshed here. Chapter number 8, he gets on to them. Verse number 12, listen to what he has to say. He says, but when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you're sinning against Christ. Therefore, food causes my brother or sister to fall. I'll never eat meat again. So they won't cause my brother or sister to fall. He deals with causing stumbling blocks and, 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 and by your selfishness and caring more about yourself than your others. He does the same thing in chapter number 11 when he talks about their, their love feast and, and the Lord's Supper and how it's, it's borderline idolatrous in its behavior. And in chapter number 11, verse number 17, he gets on to them again. He says, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for worse. To begin with, I hear when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Indeed, it's necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. And when you come together, then it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one brings its own supper. One person's hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? He gets on to them. Should I praise you in this? He says, no, I will not praise you in this matter. Do you think Paul might be getting on to them here? Yes. Does he do it because he doesn't love them? No, he does it because he does love them. And so he's speaking the truth in love. They are his dearly loved children. Folks, listen to me. How many of y'all love your children and your grandchildren? Love is not sentimentality. Love is not just some emotion. But if you love them, you will correct them and teach them. Love is not just some emotion. Love is not some way to try to manipulate. Love is an act. It's the act of caring. It's the act of correcting. It's the act of confronting. It's the act of loving. Love is an open and honest conversation 
between you and your family. Secondly, I won't be able to get to all the scripture verses I have outlined in this outline, but you can download it on the website and you can look them up. Secondly, instruct your children. Notice he says in this passage of scripture, in chapter number four, he says, I'm not writing to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Now you love them, but then you instruct them. The word warn is also trans could be translated admonish. It's the word nutheto. And nutheto is where we get nuthetic to teach, to counsel from God's word. You are to admonish, to warn, to teach. And we are to be instructing our children, to teach your children the word of God and teach them the word of God, not just Bible stories, but the application of the meaning of that Bible story to daily life. The application of the word to discipline, for correction, for training, for life. You're teaching your children in order that they might order their lives by the word of God. And not according to mo emotions, that they don't order their life according to the culture's values. But they order their life according to the word of God. And this is Old Testament practice as well as New Testament practice. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 6, verse 1. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, Moses says. That you may follow them in the land where you're about to enter and possess. Do this, that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life. By keeping all of his statutes and commands, I'm giving you, your son, listen, your grandson, that they may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, listen to the Shema. Listen. Listen. Heads up. Listen. Oh, hear. Oh, Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words I'm giving you today will be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. We're to admonish. We're to admonish one another, love one another, speak truth to one another, encourage one another. And Paul writes in Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 28. We proclaim him warning, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Wow. This is what God has called us to do, to admonish, to correct, to teach, to instruct, to, to love, to love. In chapter number three, Colossians chapter three, verse number 16 and 17, look with me. Colossians three, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. There's the same word, a warning, admonishing one another. How? Through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. When we gather to worship, did you know that we're singing to God? Can somebody say amen? But did you know we're also admonishing one another? Encouraging one another, warning one another? So when we sing, we ought to sing to the glory of God. And if somebody's not singing, you ought to say, hey, come on, sing. Sing with us to the glory of God. All of us. Come to worship him. The book of Proverbs speaks so much about parents' involvement with their family and teaching. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't reject your mother's teaching. Do you see that? Fathers and mothers on the same page together teaching their family about God's word. His law, how to live. Verse number nine, for they will be a garland of favor on your head and pendants around your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded. Wow. Proverbs chapter number three, verse one, my son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. I love that. Write them on the tablet of what? Your heart. Then you'll find favor and high regard with God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own wise. Fear the Lord. Turn away from healing. This will bring healing for your body and strength for your bones. Wow. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son. Do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Do you love your children? Then teach them. Discipline them. Correct them. Love them. In chapter number four, of Proverbs in verse number one, listen, sons, to a father's discipline. Pay attention that you may gain understanding, understanding, for I'm giving you good instruction. Don't abandon my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me 
and said, your heart must hold on to my words. Keep my commandments and live. When did he start doing this? Notice what he says, when I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother. You start young. You don't wait till they're 13. This is the problem. People, they come into a panic when their kids get into middle school and they want the youth pastor to fix them. You start when they're young. You teach them. You're teaching your children God's word in your home. Very practically, if you have children or grandchildren in our children's department, when you get home from church on Sunday, you get an email from Christy that tells you what the, your children learned in Sunday school today. Did you know that? And in that email is not only the lesson that you learned today, but there's ideas about what you can do at home to reinforce that, to teach that at home. It gives you ideas of how to have a family devotional time at home in your own family. Do you know what the Gospel Project is? If you don't, then you're not paying attention. This is the methodical way we're trying to lead your children and we're teaching them the Gospel in every age and stage of their life. And we're being very intentional about doing that in a, with our children. And parents, shame on you if you're not engaged with your children about what they're learning here on Sunday. And if your laws are fair and you've given that over the church and you're not engaged with your children, you're sinning against Jesus himself. And I'm being very direct. And some of you need to learn and begin to practice having devotional time in your family. Amen. At least, begin with at least once a week. And that means as simply as gathering your family together, having some, have a meal together, have conversation, turn off the TV, turn off the radio, turn off the tablets, turn off the phone, Parents, don't sit at the table and scroll on Facebook. Look at your children and have conversations. It's awful what we're doing. And I know we all are tempted to do it. Give the kids the tablet so they're quiet for a moment. I'm telling you, the enemy's wanting to destroy us. And it's time for us to wake up. Amen. Why can't you read a scripture verse, talk about a devotional idea for just a moment, and sing a song with your kids? Well, we don't sing at our house. Do you sing happy birthday when somebody has a birthday? Well, then you can sing a song. Getting quiet in here, man. I'm telling you. This sermon's important. It's important what I'm saying to you. All of hell wants to destroy your family. Amen. Wants to confuse your kids. Thirdly, model for your children. 
Notice what Paul says in this passage in, when he writes to them. He said, you've got lots of instructors, but you only don't have many fathers. I'm your father in Christ, the gospel. And I urge you, imitate me. Pattern your life after me. Now, some people have accused Paul of being very arrogant. But Paul's not being arrogant. Paul's saying, you want to know how to live out this life? Watch how, how I live it. And I'm going to send you Timothy. And Tim Timothy's going to remind you of me. Because he also is following this same pattern. And, and Paul makes it really clear. He says, look, I've hitched my life to Jesus Christ. I'm trying to follow him. I won't do it perfectly. But I ask you to follow Jesus too. And, and, and I'm following him. So if you, you, I know that Christ isn't in flesh and blood living among us now. But watch how I'm living it out in relationships. Notice in chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Follow me as I'm following him. This is, this is what he's saying. He, he writes the same kind of things in other passages of Scripture. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Trace, pattern your life over other godly people who are walking it out. And then he says in chapter number 4, verse 9, do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Do that. Put it to practice. And this is the power of modeling. The power of teaching. And we're to do it in our home. And this is what I need to do as a grandfather. Model it out with my children, my grandchildren. I also need to model it out with my, my grown children. Here I am in my middle 60s, and in my middle 60s, I'm modeling for my children. How does a man in his middle 60s live out the gospel? And my adult children, if they're paying attention, will be looking at me and saying, that's the way I should live my life. And my adult children who are rearing their children should be saying to their children, you watch how mommy and daddy live our life. We're following Jesus. And I want you to follow him and know him too. There's power of modeled life. A life that's been laid down as an example for others to follow. I, I grew up with, I, I love, I'm blessed to be in a home with a strong, a wife that is a strong follower of Jesus Christ. So my children don't just have to hear my words, they see her. They hear her words. My mother is a, god, she's a godly woman. She's not perfect, she's a godly woman. She loves the Lord, she's a strong woman. My mother-in-law, extraordinarily strong woman, gone to be with Jesus now. Ruth Stuckey was a terrific teacher of God's word. She studied his word all week long. She had a group of women she taught Bible studies, Sunday school class for years and years and years. Christy's dad taught for years and years in the same little church. And, and, and then when her, his eyesight got so bad, they combined both the classes. And mom did most of the teaching, mom Stucky, because And she was, by the way, a better teacher than him. 
He had more degrees, but she was excellent. And my mom, my mom's got the largest Sunday school class in her church. Here she is, 87 years old, studying the Word of God every week, praying over a class, calling class members, praying with them what they're going through, encouraging them in their faith. Inviting people to come, inviting people to events. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. What is the outcome of their lives? Are you looking at how the outcome of their lives? What's, what's the fruit of their lives? That's the kind of people I want to follow. Fourthly, correct your children. I've kind of already talked about it, so... Now, listen now, Paul speaks to these Corinthians. He loves them so much, but listen to what he says. He gets on to them. He said, verse 18, some of you are arrogant, as though I'm not coming to you. But I am coming to you, <laughs> if the Lord wills. And some of you arrogant ones who think that you've got all this power, we'll find out it's not about talk, but about power. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And then he says, how would you like for me to come to you? Verse 21. Does it, he kind of sounds like a dad here, doesn't he? Listen, how do you want me to come to you? Should I come with a rod? Or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Well, the rod is a tool of discipline, of correction. Proverbs 15.10 says, Discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path, and the one who hates correction will die. Love disciplines. Paul didn't have a trouble saying, If I come and you're in your arrogance and unrepentance, then I'm going to speak the word of God to you powerfully in the spirit and I am going to correct and discipline. He said, Paul would, would not neglect to discipline. And so we as parents and as disciple makers in our home, you are never, ever to abuse your children. Amen. Ever. But refusing, refusing to discipline is neglect and abusive as well. Amen. And doesn't the Lord discipline us? Amen. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 7, endures suffering as discipline... God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? If you're without discipline, which all receive, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Should we, shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Does God love you enough to discipline you? Yes. And even when suffering and hardship comes into our life, which we don't always welcome or want, but it has a disciplining training effect for us to depend more on God who loves us and cares about us. And we run to him. We depend on him. And some of y'all are going through it now. And you say, well, God must not love me. This has happened to me. Would you stop it? He does love you. And even when the hard things come, he's right there with you. And he's teaching you. And his spirit is training you. Because he loves you. With an everlasting love. Suffering helps train us. And love includes discipline. And without it, we all need it. We all need boundaries. Little kids need it. We need it, it brings security into our life. It brings dependence upon one outside of us. And finally, and I'm out of time, be patient with your children. Be patient with them. He said, do I come with a rod or with love and gentleness? Well, there's a patience in Paul, isn't there? You know, we are to be a patient in the way we teach our children, the way we disciple and deal with those who go waywardly. In 2 Timothy chapter number 2, in verse number 24, it says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, now listen, and patient. Anybody that wants to be an effective disciple maker in this world, you need to not only be good at teaching, you need to be patient with the ones you're teaching. And notice... Instructing his opponents with gentleness. And perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. Teach patiently. Teach gently. Teach boldly. Teach correctively. Teach lovingly. Speak the truth in love. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Preach the word, he writes to Tim. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, now listen, rebuke, yes. Encourage, yes. With what? Great. With, with what great what? Great patience and teaching. How many times have you ever failed in your walk with Christ? How many times have you missed the mark in your life? 
then don't let your language be salted with these kinds of phrases. If I told you once, how's it go? What good does that do? Well, I told him. Good for you. You made your... How do you know these things? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you... Mm -hmm. What did I... I want to ask you a question. Listen. Your words matter. And your attitude. And if there's a failure on the part of Tim Lewis and his parental instruction, it was patience. I want to ask you a question. Has God been patient toward you? And how many times will you be patient with those under you and around you and in relationship with you? Don't say, I quit. I give up on them. I'm done with them. Did the Lord quit on you? How are you teaching the gospel in your family relationships? Are you teaching in your family relationships that their standing with Christ is not works that they achieve, but their standing is by His grace? And are you teaching them that you can't earn it or deserve it? And are you teaching their chil your children that Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins and that all we like sheep have gone astray and every one of us have turned to His own way? But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus for you. And are you teaching your children that our sin cost our Savior his own life? And that God loved you so much and he's demonstrated his love for you. And while you were still a sinner in full rebellion against God, Christ died for you. And the sinless son of God died on Calvary's cross loving you, pain for you. That you might know the love of Christ. And are you urging and begging your children to give their heart and life. And turn from sin and trust in him. And will you experience the love of Christ. And the love of Jesus. And the love of Christ constrains us. And holds us. And compels us. And that you want to please him. And live for him. And that living for Jesus is what life's all about. Amen. This is what God's called us to do. Living for Jesus who died in my place. Bearing on Calvary my sin and disgrace. Such love constrains me to answer his call. Follow his leading. And give him my all. Oh Jesus, Lord and Savior. I give myself to thee, for thou in thine atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne.
my life I give, henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts this moment. May we hear your word. May we take it seriously. Father, if there's one person here that doesn't know Christ, I pray they come and trust him. If there's somebody here that's gone waywardly, I pray that we return and repent and come home. Lord, if there's families here, and I know that there are, that feel a great conviction about being more engaged with their children and in discipleship, then I pray that today they would simply say, God, help me. Help me to lead my family and to witness to my family and to teach my family. In Jesus' name, amen.